The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Well, good morning to everyone. Uh, if if uh, you are here this morning, I want to welcome you. If you're joining us online this morning, you are most welcome. And if you're a visitor, you are very welcome. We would love a chance to get to know you. Uh, visitors, in my opinion, in my humble opinion, are blessings. So uh, will you please bless us by sticking around a little bit and letting us, getting, let us get to know you. I also want to say a big shout out is, is college students, our OC students. Welcome back. Glad you're back. Uh, we are also, we, for most of you, I think a lot of you went to our college class this morning, which meets in the building over there. Uh, and if you didn't, Consider joining us at 9.30 for the college class. Speaking of classes, more and more of us are coming back to class. And I want to extend, if you weren't here this morning at 9.30 in the auditorium, Rick Geyer is leading our adult Bible class uh, in a topic, a, a subject of God at the margins. And today, Cody Boyd shared with us about um, Church Under the Bridge, which is literally a church that meets under the bridge in Oklahoma City. And he talked about homeless people and the way that getting to know people that he drove past every day on the way to work and how that's been significant for him. And he goes down, I think most Sundays, he said to, to uh, church under the bridge at 3 p.m. And he says, you're always welcome. And I think my guess is that if you go with them, not only you meet wonderful people, but you might actually meet God at the margins there. So I want to invite you guys to join us at 9.30 each Sunday for that, for that series. We're in our new sermon series, and actually it's new, but it's old. We, Brett and I do this sermon series at least once a year, and we call it the Word of the Lord. And since it's probably been a year since we've done this, I want to remind you what this is and why we do it. So the Word of the Lord series, it's, it's for the congregation, but it's as much for Brett and I. What we do in the Word of the Lord series is that we follow the lectionary, which we've talked about the lectionary a little bit in, in this church, but most of us haven't grown up with the, with the lectionary. And what the lectionary is, it follows the church calendar. Most of us haven't followed a church calendar either, although we celebrate Christmas and Easter. But many churches around the world follow a calendar that marks the life of Jesus Christ. And so their life is organized around scripture and the life of Jesus Christ. And I gotta confess, most of my life is organized around my work and the scocker schedule and my kids' schedule and every other schedule. And so I have to need to remind myself that life is not just organized by all the events in my life, but can it be organized by God's time? And so what we do, at least we're gonna do this for the next month, is we're gonna follow the lectionary text. And it's two things. One, uh, churches around the world are preaching and teaching and reading from the same text. So we're joining in something bigger than ourselves, which I think is a good thing. But then two, and this is where it's good for Brett and I, and we want to share this with you, is that Brett and I don't get to choose the text. That's the beauty for us of following the lectionary. We don't say, hey, let's be in the Gospel of Luke, or let's do this, or let's do that. We say, okay, what is the lectionary? What's the text for today? And what does this text, what does God have to say to us 
today. That's a good practice for Brett and I. Because we want to be honest with you, uh, as we come back into the season of preaching for us, here's what Brett and I, here's how we see this moment. And we want you to understand and see this moment, this worship moment is this. Our biggest hope, our prayer, is that you don't hear Brett and I's voice in this moment. Now, you may enjoy hearing our our voices. You may enjoy hearing our sermons. You may not. That's okay too. But if you're only hearing us, you're only hearing good advice from two guys. And we may have some good advice, but that's all you're hearing is good advice from two dudes. What we hope happens is that when you come to this moment, that when we all come to this moment in the service, that you don't hear Brett and I, we want you to hear the voice of God. My biggest hope is not that you come up to me afterwards and say, Ben, that was a good sermon. But that you come up and say, here's what I heard from the Lord today. That's why you hear Brett and I pray, God, give us the gift of preaching. Not that we didn't prepare or that we're nervous because we see this moment as a sacramental moment when God hopefully breaks in. Because if it's just our word, there's not much power to that. But if it's God's word, it, has, it, it creates worlds. And we hope you can hear God's voice because of us, through us, and even sometimes in spite of us. That's our hope. So today, the word of the Lord that's come to us is from 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 3 through 8. And at the end, I'm going to say the word of the Lord, and I want you to respond, thanks be to God. All right? So 1 Kings 19, it says this. Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, He left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush and sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and he fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around And there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. And he ate and he drank and then he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and says, Get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and he drank. And strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Let's pray. Father, as always, we give you thanks. For we trust, we confess that our life is not our own. And our our life only comes from your word, the bread of heaven, the bread of life. 
So God, as we enter this moment together, as you speak, we pray for ears to hear. We pray for hearts that will follow. We pray for lives that will obey. And God, I pray for the gift of preaching this morning. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. What strikes me right away about this text is this phrase this angel uses. He says, the journey is too much for you. That strikes me. The journey is too much for you. It strikes me not as just something that he's saying to Elijah in this moment, but it strikes me as something that is true, that is God's word to us that is true throughout our life. I mean, if you take life as a metaphor, journey as a metaphor for life, life is often, it's too big, it's too overwhelming, it's too complicated, it's too long, it's too unpredictable, it's too stressful, it's too threatening, it's too frustrating. Life is just too much for us. Hence, by the end, we all know that experience, or we know it's coming, it's too much, it ends. All our efforts seem to get... seem to get frustrated, we can't do it, we can't overcome, we can't make it happen. We can't make our lives what we want them to be. A few years ago, before COVID, I was going to travel to the country of Eswatini. Eswatini is in southern Africa. It's actually surrounded by South Africa. And there's a small college there where students from across Africa come and study Among other things, they come and study ministry and things like that. I was going to teach a class there at African Christian College. And the day I had to fly out was on a Friday, and it was a pretty flustered day. You know, one of those days where you get to the the airport late, and you're flustered, and you're trying to pack, and you're trying to do this. And so I barely get on my flight to Dallas. And by the time I sit down, I'm like, oh, I finally made it. So I get to Dallas, and I'm thinking, yeah, okay, that was a pretty frustrating event for me. Just the hectic of, you know, trying to get to the airport, trying to do all that. So, but when I get to Dallas and I'm finally feeling this sense of relief and I know I'm going to be on this long flight, they start calling up passengers and one of the passengers they call up to get a, to, to get a ticket because American Airlines had given me a boarding pass, but I was flying Qatar Airlines, uh, I think somewhere over, I, I can't remember, probably Qatar. I don't even remember where I was flying, right? So, I go up to the counter because they want to exchange out a boarding pass from American Airlines to Qatar Airlines. So I get up there and they said, I need to see your passport, please. And so I hand him my passport and I'm just sitting there thinking, okay, this is not going to be no big deal. And the guy flips through and the guy flips in. He goes, I'm so sorry. I said, what? He said, you can't travel on this passport. I said, What? I thought, oh no, had it expired and I didn't realize it? How did they not catch it at the air? He said, no, you're required to have two full pages blank next to each other, front and back, front and back, that are free in your passport in order for them to stamp it in South Africa. That's what they require. I was like, what? Are you kidding me? I was like, look, there's the place you can stamp here and I'm going through... Granted, my passport was pretty full at this point. I'd had it for a while. I traveled a lot. It was pretty full. 
And he goes, no, I'm sorry, it's got to be two full pages that are blank, back to back. It was a rule that South Africa had made. So I'm in there, and I've got these full visas. I start ripping out these visas, and he goes, sir, you can't do that. I looked, he goes, don't tell me what to do in my passport. And I start ripping out, I became one of those passengers, right? Don't tell me what to do. I was very Christ-like when I said it. Sure enough, the guy was like, I'm sorry, you can't travel. So you imagine how frustrated I am. So I go back, I start getting on the phone and calling, I, the plane takes off. So I go back to American Airlines because I'm like stuck in Dallas and I explain the situation, all this stuff. And I, I explain it all to him and the lady at the counter says, well, let me look at this. She looks at my passport. She was like, they should have let you on that plane. I was like, I know, right? It's feeling so justified. She's like, yes, they should have let you on that plane. I said, I know. I said, well, I, I, is there any flight tonight? I need to get back to Oklahoma City. She says, yes, it'll be $300. I was like, what, wait, excuse me. I didn't ask to buy a new ticket. I'm wondering if you could get me back to Oklahoma City because I'm stuck. And she's like, I'm sorry. It was, you had a valid ticket. You used it according to what we just you know, we see this as you should have gone on. This is not our fault. You have to buy another ticket to get back. So I literally walk away with my passport and up against the wall in the middle of the airport in the International Terminal, and I sit down under my own broom tree. <laughs> not knowing what I was going to do. And I said, I've had it. I have had enough. Now, before you ask me what happened, eventually I did get, I got a new passport, emergency passport the next Monday, called a friend, stayed with a friend, actually been, was a, it actually worked out. But you know that feeling when all you could say is, Lord, I've had enough. I find it interesting that Elijah gets under this broom tree and he prays. I'm so appreciative. We've been talking about spiritual disciplines in this church, and I'm so appreciative to everyone who is in our guest speaker series, our guest preaching series this summer, that led us through a practices of love, spiritual disciplines for the life of the world. And so it's got me thinking about this, and I just, I couldn't, when I read this text, I, I just couldn't help but focus on the spiritual discipline of prayer that Elijah prays. Elijah, in this text, is running for his life. He's just been a part of killing all the prophets of Baal. And Jezebel wants to take his life. So he starts running and he leaves his servant. And he goes on for 40 days. And then he's at his end. And he just cries out and he says, I have had enough, Lord. And what strikes me about when he prays, I relate to that, don't you? This is when you pray, is it not? When you are like at your wit's end and you can't, you're, they're frustrated, you're angry, you're exhausted, your life has got up to here. That's when you pray. When things, are, when things are tough, when times are rough, when things aren't going your way, and you've had enough and you don't feel like you can go on, that's when we pray. Because in those times, that's when we know that the journey is too much for you. Or it's too much for us. It's in those times that we know that our life is not ours. 
that we can't make it, that we can't control it, that we can't sustain it, that we can't save it, and we say, I have had enough. You know this situation, many of you, because you've been in situations like this. If you've had cancer, you get the bad news and the diagnosis, then you begin those treatments and they're awful. And you feel like you're fighting for your life. And you get to the point where you're exhausted and you cry out, Lord, I have had enough. Or maybe it's worse. Some of you, it's maybe, it is worse. When it's not you, when it's a loved one. Maybe it's a parent or a spouse. Or even the worst, it's when it's your own child. And you get that diagnosis. And you're trying to be so strong for that other person. But down deep, you know you are just a moment away from breaking apart. And then there's the pokes and the needles and the waiting. The waiting is excruciating. And you spend hours and days and weeks in the hospital, so much so that you can't even remember what day it is or how long you've been there. Anybody ever been through that? Anybody know somebody that's been through that? And you are spiritually and physically and emotionally exhausted and you are at the end of your rope and you just want to yell out to God, I have had enough. Some of you know what it's like not to have a job for a long time. You can't make ends meet. And you begin to wonder, how am I going to put food on the table? How am I going to pay my mortgage? How am I going to provide for my kids? And the stress and the anxiety and the worry. And you don't know when that job is going to come. And it feels like it might not ever come. And you're just at the end of your rope and you say, God, I've had enough. Or maybe for some of you, it's a broken relationship. The fighting. The dysfunction, the deception. The betrayal. Maybe it's even abuse. It's gone on and on and on and on and you are completely broken and wounded and have no strength left. And by this time, you just whisper, God, I've had enough. That's when we pray. In fact, that's probably when prayer comes most natural in times like that for many of us. But while we've all experienced those events in our life on some level, and I may not have described yours, but you can relate. You're like, oh, yeah, I got that story or a story like that. We don't live all of our lives that way. We don't live all of our lives in this kind of Elijah moment where we're had enough. Now, it may feel like it. And for some of you, it probably is that way. 
just doesn't feel like it. It is that way for you. But for most of us, we go through our daily, daily lives and the temptation is that while we're at the very bottom, we know our life is not our own. We know the journey is too much for us. But sometimes the temptation in daily life is this. I can handle the journey. And you, I know what you're thinking. You're like, yeah, I know. Down deep though, I know I can't handle the journey. And I think you do know that. I'm fast, most of you who are followers of Jesus know that. That's why you follow Jesus. But let me share something with you. And I've been convicted. I talked about this in a class uh, that I taught just a few weeks ago. But here's what the world expects. Here's what our, 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 our context expects of us. And this is why it's tempting. Our context expects you to do it. So I told this story in class a few weeks ago in Uganda. There wasn't a day that went by that I didn't hear the phrase, what can I do? And it reflected a worldview that said, the world happens to me. I'm not at the center of the universe. There are, there's God, there's others, there's spirits, there's these forces in the world, what can I do? And while that frustrated me like crazy at times, because I was like, yes, a lot you can do. Nike has said it for us. What does Nike say? Just do it. Whatever it is, you do it. And that's the expectation. So can you imagine an engineer that's built, just built a building and after the, the uh, sorry, a bridge, an engineer that builds a bridge, they design the bridge, they build, and a month after the bridge is finished and it's in operation, the bridge falls down. Can you imagine the engineer then saying, eh, what can I do? Excuse me? What can you do? How about build a bridge that will last more than a month? Because we don't ever expect them to fall down at all, right? Now, the good thing is, you do have agency in the world. There are a lot of things you can do and should do. But here's the temptation. Is that we, we are told and expected that the world is contingent on you. It's up to you. You do it. That we live and constantly do that. That we're tempted to start living as if it is up to us. Do you feel that? As if it is up to us. So I give this example to college students all the time. This is one of the things we struggle with at Oklahoma Christian. Is that one, at, the, at one moment we say, trust God with your future. God will take care of you. Just trust him. And then we turn around and say, Hey, but you better get your stuff together. You better get your internship. You better get your resume together. You better have these experiences. You better interview well. You know what I'm saying? And you feel this tug. Do you feel that tug? What does it mean to trust God in a world that I've got to do it? Because that is what is continually, that's what we continue to tell ourselves and is told to us. It's up to you. And there's some very positive things about you can do it. Just do it. But at the same time, it's this, enormous temptation to live as if we control the world we can produce the outcomes we can make our lives what they are in other words that we can make ourselves and if you are honest with yourself down deep you feel that tension that I can make myself 
we slowly learn to live as if the world is contingent on us. So thinking about spiritual disciplines has me look back at this text with Elijah. That what if, I'll be honest with you, I pray in moments that are like Elijah moments. But when things are going good, I don't pray as much. And I see some head shaking. Some of you are great at prayer. But if you're honest, you don't pray as much. And we forget these Elijah moments when things are going really well. When we can do it. When we think we're in control of the world. When it's up to us to make our life what it is. That we're self-made. And it's easy to pray in the moments that are like these Elijah moments and cry out, God, I can't do this anymore. I've had enough. But most of us don't live the majority of our days in those kind of moments, to be fair. And so we're tempted to live as if we're self-made. But I wonder if as a discipline, we practice prayer in these moments. Because in these moments that are just everyday life moments, when we're in control, practicing the discipline of prayer does this. We pray because our life comes from God. And we yield it back to Him in prayer. In other words, prayer can be the great antidote to the illusion that you are in control and that you are self-made. Because you're going to have to do a lot of things and be responsible. You are. But prayer can be the antidote to the illusion that you're actually in control and that you make your own life. doesn't say this in the story but I imagine after Elijah prays and he wakes up and he finds bread I imagine that he has this sense of gratitude doesn't say it in the story but you just can't help but know it's there it's easy to be grateful in times of need but when life's chugging along and you're in control, you tend to think you're the one that's produced the food on your table. And Christians have prayed before meals for a long time. But here's why I think we give thanks before meals. It's because we recognize that God has made the world to work so that we can eat and have life. In other words, I don't produce any of my own food. Creation produces it. Now, I can cultivate it. I can cultivate a carrot, but I can't produce a carrot. I could cultivate a young calf and slaughter it for beef, but I can't produce a calf. And to be even more fair, 
most of us in the room don't even cultivate. Thank God, right? Cross yourself. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You don't have to cultivate your own food. You're not going to eat any food, most of the food you eat today. Now, some of you are like, I produced everything that I ate on my table today. But most of us, there's going to be some food that you consume today that you did not produce or you did not cultivate. And the temptation is to think this food that's on the table was produced because I of my money and my hard work. All your money allowed you to do was put the food on the table that creation produced and somebody cultivated. That's all it did. And so we're grateful because in times when we're tempted to think that we're self-made, we give thanks because our life comes from God. And then when we're grateful, that's a way of yielding it back to God. Just saying thanks, just being grateful. Somebody does something for you, be grateful. When there's food on the table, be grateful. That gratitude and thanksgiving is the great antidote to the illusion that we are in control and that we're self-made. I can't help but also see in this story that God is the one that provides. Elijah's at his wit's end. He's ready to give up. He's had enough. And it's God that strengthens and provides what Elijah needs. This is who God is. This is why we come to God as Father, that he'll care for our needs. This is what we've prayed for this morning. This is what those blessings were about, asking God to strengthen us, asking God to provide, asking God to lead. And it just makes me think as God's children that, you wanna, that we want to follow Jesus and what he does. And I wonder that in these moments of life where we're not at our wits end, but we're going along and we think we're in control and we think we're self-made, that somehow the discipline of generosity can remind us that our life is not our own. Because God is generous and our life comes from God. And so we too can practice generosity. And man, I can tell you what. I don't have time to tell stories. But I have heard and seen and witnessed on social media this church being generous to people around you. And some of you know this. You've received that generosity. And if you need help. Please give us a chance to be generous. Give us a chance to remind ourselves that we're not in control, that we're not self-made, that our life comes from God. We are generous because our life comes from God. And when we give, that is, that is a way we yield our life back to God. Generosity is the great antidote to the illusion that you are in control of your life and that you are something. We pray. We're generous. We're, we're, we give thanks. All because 
our lives come from God. And when we pray and are grateful and are generous, this is how we yield our life back to God. Because prayer and gratitude and generosity is the great antidote to the illusion that you and I are in control. That you and I are self-made. It is the great antidote to remind us that we are all recipients of God's wonderful grace. And we are only here and our lives are sustained and our future is secure only because of Him. Let's stand and worship the God who graciously provides for all of us.